and welcome to Proudly Off Payroll. I'm James Poyser. I'm the CEO and one of the co-founders here at Inny Accounts. And this podcast is where I share my insights and opinions on the consulting and contracting industry. And in this episode, I'm going to talk about our eye-opening journey into the world of umbrella companies. This particular story starts a couple of years ago at an Innie Accounts board meeting. We were discussing the upcoming IR35 and off-payroll legislation changes, and we started kicking around the idea of setting up an Innie Accounts branded umbrella service for any of our clients who may find themselves occasionally working inside IR35. And at the time, well, and still today, you know, umbrella companies are charging um, £100 a month for what is largely an automated payroll service. We thought, well, we know a lot about payroll. We have automated payroll software. We think the margin is probably good. Therefore, we should be able to afford to build this and bundle it in for a, a fixed fee for our for our clients. And we had a couple of data points that supported this hypothesis as well. So we'd previously interviewed somebody for a full-time position at any accounts, and this particular person had built and sold an umbrella company. And one of the striking things that I remember from the interview was when she explained how um, the staffing requirements for an umbrella company are relatively low and it's about high quality administrators. So she was running a team of four people looking after a thousand contractors. So from a margin point of view, less than 5% of your umbrella fee is going on staffing. Great. Okay. So that's the first check in the box to help us understand and confirm this is a high margin business. The second data point was a software vendor who specializes in helping companies to set up and run umbrella companies. So we met this software vendor at an accountancy trade show and they confirmed that actually the tech is relatively straightforward. Uh, They had an off-the-shelf package that handled timesheets and payslips and compliance and produced um, BAX files for for, for payments and so on and so forth. And the really interesting thing was this was super cheap. So you're talking £1.50 per month per contractor license fee for this piece, piece of software. No large consultancy fees, just a couple of days of training to get up and running. And we had our own payroll software. We could have probably adapted it. But to be honest, when it's this cheap, why would you even bother? So we had two things confirmed. One, the technology costs aren't huge to run an umbrella company. So the core of it is automated payroll, and that is cheap to buy in. And secondly, the staff costs aren't that high. But then we step back, and I'm... I think, you know, I'm fundamentally a free market um, economist. And when you look at this market, look at the umbrella market today. There's lots of competition. The barriers to entry are relatively low. And it appears from what we found out that the marginal cost is very low as well. It doesn't cost you that much more to support your next contractor. And you kind of put this together and you understand these dynamics and you feel like umbrellas should really be priced at about two to three pounds per week, not 15 to 25 pounds per week. So then you realise there must be a hidden dynamic somewhere in the umbrella market. And in order for us to kind of round off this business case, this investigation, we had to go and find out what those dynamics were. And this triggered our journey to look into umbrellas in more detail. Agencies have PSL, preferred supplier lists, um, for umbrella companies. So if you're contracting through an agent, they say that you have to use one of the umbrella companies that sits on their PSL. So we did our research, looked at this particular market and realised for the company, for the size that we are and the influence that we had, 
we wouldn't have a cat's head in chance of getting onto a, a PSL. And even if we did, even if we could get onto a PSL, one of the prerequisites for the majority of agency PSLs is that your umbrella needs to be a member of the FCSA. So the FCSA, for those of you who don't know, they're a very active pro-umbrella professional body. Um, In the wake of the loan charge scandal, which is still ongoing, there are people with some pretty big tax bills and penalties. I think we all know about the, the, the suicides that have been triggered as a result of that. In the wake of the loan charge scandal, the FCSA, FCSA, have positioned themselves as being a a badge of compliance. So the FCSA audit and support compliant umbrella companies. So that's why most agents insist that you're an uh, FCSA-affiliated umbrella because it protects them from making a recommendation for some kind of shady offshore or loan-based scheme. Fine. So that's that's what we're up against. So we'll go off and have a look at the, the FCSA. And if you go to the FCSA's website, the fees for accredited membership and a compliance review start at... £18,000. Then we need to put in all the legal fees. There's a rat's nest of of legal work and protection that needs to go on here when you are setting up an organisation that is going to start employing people. And looking at our own base, at most, we probably think we're going to have 50 to 100 clients who would occasionally use this umbrella service. So when you're talking about those kind of setup fees, it doesn't make sense just to set up an umbrella company to serve a small number of clients. We would have to expand the business model. We'd have to compete with the wider market. And therefore, we need to expand out our research and find out even more about how the umbrella market works. The next port of call was to talk to contractors themselves who use umbrellas and try and get a feel for what it would take to serve them and uh, and what what their needs are. One thing that was really, really striking when we're talking to contractors is that most of them who use umbrellas had used more than one umbrella company in their in their time. And that's because it's easy to chop and change an umbrella company. And you might get forced to do this if you change assignment, change uh, agency, and you've got a new PSL. Um, but also, at the time, a couple of years ago, there were a lot of incentives for people to switch. So if you switched an umbrella company, many were giving away things like, you know, iPads and gift vouchers and, and so on and so forth. So the conclusion is that umbrella company clients aren't actually particularly loyal. And we came to the conclusion that um, an umbrella client, a contract using umbrella, they have a typical lifetime average tenor of about 12 to 18 months. So this means every year you've got to replace your entire client base of contractors with new contractors. And that's just to stay still. That's not about growth. That's just what you need to do to stop your revenues declining. And that sounds pretty tiring to me. It doesn't doesn't just sound tiring. It sounds expensive. You've got to spend all that money on marketing and BD, those incentives, the whining and dining, talking to the right people, the advertising. Um, and, and we penciled in at the time, you know, a budget of £200 to acquire a client. And I think with hindsight, if we look at the market and how competitive it is, I think we're well off the mark. I think that figure is much, much higher. So you have to spend a reasonable amount of cash to attract contractors in the first place, and that needs to get priced into the fee that you are charging. Um, but it also, it makes you quite vulnerable as a business. So again, putting my, my business owner hat on, it feels really, really vulnerable because if you have a bad sales quarter, so let's say, for example, your star salesperson leaves or is, or is poached, you have some kind of tech hiccup, some systems fail, or you have a a failed investment in a marketing campaign, or even something like a a well-backed umbrella company 
outbidding you in things like, you know, pay-per-click media in, in Google. So if that happened and you had a, a three-month bad spell, your annual recurring revenue will drop by 25%. And that's a really big deal. That's very, very difficult for businesses to, to manage. So that all needs to be thought about and, and factored into the, into the business model for setting up an umbrella company. And when we were doing this research and chatting to, to contractors, um, I recalled that a few years ago, we actually commissioned a consultant to come in and do some research for us on the recruitment industry. And um, the, the reason for this, this was from, from an any accounts point of view, is that contractors, consultants, there are a lot of them in the UK. I think it's five, six hundred thousand in the UK. And you're everywhere. You know, you're in every sector, um, in every market. But you're nowhere. You're also very, very difficult people to pin down. You don't have a, you know, you don't go to a particular trade show. You don't read a particular magazine. There's no one place that I can advertise and reach, you know, 50% of our, our target market. And the only common point of influence is really recruitment agents. So we commissioned some research for any account saying, right, how could we work with recruitment agents to try and generate some more business? And what we learned from this is that the large accountancy firms are already in there. So the large uh, kind of commodity contractor accountancy firms are in there and they're sharing 50% of their clients' monthly fees straight back into the recruitment agents. And then we kind of, we realised that in that relationship, the partners are a strategic revenue line for recruitment agents. And that's something that we naively hadn't thought about previously. We went back to that research. My point is we went back to that research and realised that it applies to umbrella companies as well. So umbrella companies typically pay 10 to £15 pounds per week back to recruitment agents. And it's called something like a platform access fee or a timesheet submission fee. And that's a pretty huge cost. And let's let's combine that with marketing. So so we've gone from thinking we're in this, this high margin business to realising that actually we probably need to invest... 20% of the monthly fee of an umbrella service back into marketing. And then 40 to 50% of that needs to flow directly back into the recruitment agents. Then you realise you actually need a lot of cash to be able to grow. It takes a long time before you start to get payback on the money that you invest in acquiring a new client. And we're a small business. So any accounts, it's privately owned by the, the, uh, the, the co-founders. We're not private equity backed. We don't have deep pockets and we realise, actually, to enter this market, you, de- you do need to have a good amount of cash in order to be successful. And then the next thing that we learnt, um, this was actually sparked by, um, I, was, I was a panellist on, um, as, as, as a panellist at an event, I was a little bit grumpy that day. And one of my co-panellists was a, a, a sales guy from an umbrella, let's put it that way, doing a sales pitch um, for his umbrella service feeling a bit grumpy and I gave him a bit of a hard time and I pushed him really hard saying people should either be fixed term contract or agency PAYE and it's absolutely bonkers that people have to pay to get paid and he kind of came back and he said yeah yeah I hear you but what you need to understand is that umbrella companies provide a vital service to the recruitment industry they provide credit to recruitment agents many of whom wouldn't be able to get it from banks so umbrella companies are an enabler for startup recruitment agents. And at the time, I, I just dismissed it and we, we kind of moved on during the discussion. But I couldn't shake it from my mind. And I started thinking about it in the, the, the car on the way home and did a little bit more digging. And what I came to realise is that umbrellas, they actually provide liquidity to recruitment agents. So agents 
are often on long payment terms from their end clients. They might be on 30, 60, 90 day payment terms from their clients or the next chain up in the uh, in the supply chain. And when you look at the agency conduct regs, they say that if you're a worker working for an agency or an umbrella, you've got to be paid on time. You know, it isn't even a requirement that timesheets need to be signed before you're paid. You need to be paid on time. And even if your umbrella company or recruitment agent hasn't been paid by your by the end client, tough. The people who are using the umbrella companies or agency PAYE still need paying. So that cash needs to be paid out to the workers before it's received by the uh, by the agent from the from the end client. Then money isn't free, so it's quite it's quite a big gap that you have to fill. Money isn't free, and you've got to do talk about things like overdrafts or invoice factoring or some other means of of um, financing that. So that means if we want to set up an umbrella company, so bring it back to our, to our objective, if we want to set up an umbrella company, we would need to take on debt to provide liquidity to recruitment agents to allow them to work with us. And with that, with any type of debt, any type of financial product like that, we're then starting to talk about this being personal. And by that, I mean, I'm running a, a you know, I'm the chief exec of a, of a limited company. It affords me many protections apart from when you go to a bank. And if I wanted to um, get the kind of debt that we're talking about here, the bank would insist on a personal guarantee. So if our business was unable to serve those debts, then I personally would be on the hook for it. So we're then talking about putting family homes on the line to to fund this. And you think, right, okay, so what's the likelihood of bad debt? Well, the likelihood's probably pretty low, but the impact is really high. So let's say, you know, if you're working with one particular agent, they had 20 contractors at £600 a day and they didn't pay you for one month. That's quarter of a million pounds of bad debt from one agency looking after a small group of contractors. So that's quite a big thing to contemplate. The cash requirements for running an umbrella and therefore the risk that involved is actually relatively high as well. And um, so, so we know that we need cash and we're now starting to conclude that actually margins are quite tight for an umbrella. By the time you've, you've faxed all this in, margins are tight. Therefore, the only way to make money and to be profitable is to deliver this at scale. In order to do that, you need to be brilliant at sales and business development. And here at Any Accounts, we are terrible salespeople. It is not in our DNA whatsoever. None of the co-founders have come from a, a sales and BD background, but we recognise it. We put it on a piece of paper. It's on our, you know, it's on one of our plans that says we are terrible salespeople. Therefore, we need to build a service that can sell itself. So we focus on delivering really high quality service, driving up our NPS, our, our satisfaction scores. We rely on our clients making referrals and recommendations. Um, and we want to, you know, that drives us to do good by clients. If we do good by clients, drives up satisfaction. Satisfaction drives more referrals. And this model of operating would get lost if we entered the umbrella market because it is down to the hard yards of sales and BD. So no matter how good our service was, unless we had a really effective sales and BD front end on, we wouldn't be successful. And then even after all of this, even all these after all these cash requirements and the things that, that we discovered, there are still residual risks that are left over. So there's the risk that I'd have to become your employer. And I'm sure you're all wonderful people. Uh, and I'm sure you're all very low risk from employment perspective. But it is still something that I would need to be aware of. And again, employment risks are one of the things that can punch through the so-called corporate veil. And I could be personally liable for any employment issues. And theoretically, it should pass through to the end client. 
but still there is a residual risk that's left over. And there's also the, the, the cash and the debt risk that I've spoken about in terms of bankrolling recruitment agents. So it wasn't something we felt particularly excited about setting up. And it was a bit of a low point, you know, so we couldn't really afford to enter the market. It would require huge amounts of uh, cash and energy. And with it being a scale game, it means that the largest firms with the deepest pockets are more likely to succeed. So, yeah, so we um, we hit a bit of a low point, but then it got worse. So we'd been working on the premise that the expectation from HMRC with IR35 was that one third of contractors will end up being inside IR35. And for our own base, we thought that number was going to be a lot more favourable and we didn't think it was going to be anywhere near one in three of our clients caught inside. But PSC bans came along and I don't think anybody foresaw PSC bans. And this meant come kind of, you know, Christmas 2019, umbrellas were starting to have a field day. Um, So these PSC bans were happening and clients were coming out with um, umbrella only policies Umbrellas were doing really well. They were recruiting heavily uh, for for salespeople, and they are again today. And they were having a great time as they were running into Christmas. And here at Any Accounts, we were starting to feel pretty grotty as we were running into Christmas. So we asked our clients what they wanted us to do. So we sent a survey out in, in December. And top of the list, our clients wanted us to lobby. So they wanted us to lobby directly, but also support them to lobby their MPs to try and push out the implementation of off-payroll working. And bottom of their list of the things they wanted us to do was to set up an umbrella company. So that's where we focused our energy, was on lobbying. And that's why we set up offpayroll.org.uk. It was designed to give us insights to allow us to support our lobbying efforts. And in order for offpayroll.org.uk to be successful, we needed to put in place a, a firewall of anonymity to allow people to talk confidently about their experiences with end clients but without having that brought back to them or impacting their ability of working with that client in the future so that led our kind of architectural decisions about the design of offpayroll.org.uk and we also spent money with lawyers to make sure that that's something that we could guarantee for people who are going to use the website so we set up this site which allowed people in the first instance it was about allowing people to talk about their experiences with end clients and recruitment agents but actually what started to happen uh, through offpayroll.org.uk we were starting to hear people coming forward to us and talk to us about their umbrella experiences as well and there are a few small things so so you know some of our hypothesis were confirmed so some small umbrella company operators were talking to us saying that they'd been priced out of the market uh, and been played against each other for fees and cash um, we heard of one particular um, agent who forced contractors to use a particular umbrella company, which is absolutely not allowed. Um, And then we did some digging and found out that those two entities were owned by the same company offshore. um, And we exposed that through through the off-payroll site. Uh, Many contractors were getting the hump uh, with agencies with very restricted PSLs. Uh, So some of them had um, PSLs saying they could only pick from three to four umbrellas and their preferred umbrella, perhaps because they allowed them to pension contributions or give as you earn type contributions they weren't on that list so we're hearing about these little things but then we're also hearing about some 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 bigger challenges as well so a couple of contractors came forward and told us how their particular umbrella company had pocketed their holiday pay so if you use an umbrella company you're entitled to holiday pay 
Uh, that holiday pay has to come from somewhere. So it actually comes from your so-called um, assignment rate. And it's either paid to you in lieu or it is accrued and then it allows you to take paid days of holiday. And this particular umbrella company, which is not a small umbrella company by the stretch of the imagination, this is a large, well-known umbrella company, uh, was pocketing this accrued holiday pay instead of paying it out automatically at the end of the assignment. And a couple of contractors came forward, they'd spotted it, they'd gone back historically, spotted it, and managed to settle in, in out-of-court settlements. So things like that were starting to come to come out of the uh, out of the woodwork. Then there's the whole um, assignment rate problem. <clears throat> Let's call it that. The umbrella payslip complexity problem. So if anybody's seen uh, an umbrella company payslip, it is really complex because you've got to account for things like employees' national insurance, apprenticeship levy, uh, the umbrella margin. You've got to you know accrue and pay for your own holiday pay. And it's all fine. It's all kosher. It can all be explained away. But it leaves a bad taste in the mouth every week and month for the contractor and the consultant. And no matter how good you are as an umbrella company, you can't fix this. This needs a structural change in the marketplace. So those are some of the issues that we learned through through the off-payroll site. Um, and then, you know, as off-payroll started to gather pace, coronavirus came along. And I remember back in March um, when the message was from the government, I think it was something like it was either a quarter or a third of your workforce would be off sick at any given point in time. You kind of realise that's actually quite a big deal for an umbrella company because you are, the clients of an umbrella company are employees. If they are off sick, they are entitled to statutory sick pay. And that statutory sick pay, it's not rebated by the government. You can't make the employee pay for it themselves. It has to come from the umbrella margin. And that would have presented a huge risk for umbrella companies. If you know a quarter or a third of umbrella users were off sick and they had to foot the, 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 the sick pay bill, that could have sent umbrella companies under. Fortunately, the government came through and said that they would rebate sick pay for uh, coronavirus-related sickness. And that, I think, was a saving grace for something that otherwise would have been quite a, uh, a brown trouser moment, let's put it that way, for, for the umbrella industry. Um, but then coronavirus got worse and the umbrella industry got caught out by the job retention scheme, again, because of their, of their business model. And it's a really difficult one. So, so, so the reason why this happens is the government, with a job retention scheme, the government commit to paying the employees wages, but they don't pay the apprenticeship levy and holiday pay that's been accrued. It's down to the employer, so the, the, um, the umbrella company, to pay for that. So the umbrella company's got to pay for the apprenticeship levy and the holiday pay that's been accrued. They can't charge contractors for it. It's, a, I mean, it's a tiny amount of money compared to what the contractors going to get from the government for nothing. But with the slim margins that umbrella companies have got, they can't pay for it themselves. They can't charge contractors for it because that would be unlawful. They don't have a mechanism or means to get it from end clients because they don't have that relationship in place. And also, let's go back to the point of the fact that uh, contractors aren't loyal to umbrella companies. So therefore, there's not much point in you trying to build good, high quality, long lasting relationships with contractors because they're fundamentally relatively fickle with this commodity service. So you're then with this impossible decision, you do pay the job retention schemes an umbrella company and you could go bankrupt or you don't pay and you suffer damage to your reputation. And it was that point, I think I'd gone from, you know, the, the end of December thinking, oh God, I really wish we had an umbrella company in our portfolio to May, uh, sorry, kind of April time thinking, I'm really happy that we didn't go down that route and set up um, an umbrella company. 
and just to have all of that associated with a brand that we've spent 12 years building up in in the accounts. And then let's just kind of step back from, from all of this and then think, well, what does this mean? So I think one of the conclusions is it doesn't matter how good you are, you're going to be judged by the reputation of the rest of the industry. So no matter how good, ethical, transparent you are as an umbrella company, you can't overcome some of these market forces. You can't stop um, an agent from from blocking you from their PSL. You can't force an agent to manage expectations around this whole assignment rate problem. Um, and even then, so, so let's say you, 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 know, you could kind of overcome some of these things. Even then, it's fundamentally quite hard to delight your clients, as in your contractors, when they don't really agree with your existence and they've been bullied into using you in the first place and they're aware of the scandals in the in the marketplace. And every single week or month, they're going to have a really visceral reminder of the cost of using an umbrella company. So in that fee, in that margin, there's the finance cost, the agency fees, the transfer, you know, the, the, the value of the transfer of the risk of employment rights. And that's bundled up into that umbrella margin. And they don't blame the agents or the end clients. They will blame you as the umbrella company. And clients are going to resent using an umbrella. They're going to resent using you. So, you know, let's say you are a good guy. It is near impossible to achieve this escape velocity and position yourself as being a good guy in this market. And what we've learned then from these umbrellas in their current form, they're subject to these distortions in the market. You know, they're distorted because they provide income to agents. They're distorted because they have to provide liquidity to agents. End clients are transferring their employment liability and obligations to umbrellas. And all of this is bundled up neatly and passed on to a fee to the contractor because somebody's got to pay for it. And our epiphany was, for umbrella companies, contractors are not your primary client. You can have the happiest contractors in the world on your base, but unless you're making recruitment agents and other people in the supply chain happy, you're fundamentally stuffed. And that means you can't act wholly in the best interests of contractors. You've always got to embark in a trade-off because all these different actors are going to have different needs and different requirements, and sometimes they will conflict. And that's a challenge for us at any accounts because we've always been famous for putting our clients first. We've come from a contracting, consulting, small business background. We set up any accounts to challenge an industry and do things right by contractors and consultants. And it's quite a departure to go from that into running an umbrella company. And it felt like there was an unreconcilable ideological challenge if we were to set up an umbrella company. So let's fast forward to today. So where are we? So I have an inkling that umbrella companies might not be sustainable in their their current form. My prediction is that maybe um, agencies that trade on their reputation with contracts and consultants and clients will look at alternatives rather than the pure umbrella model because they don't want to risk the reputation of a few rogue operators impacting them. So I wonder if we'll start to see a resurgence of agency PAYE, which becomes more transparent to the consultant or contractor. Um, I know there's also there's there's already one umbrella company out there who is doing this, who's doing exceptionally well. So they work with a close relationship with the recruiters, but importantly, the end client themselves. They work in partnership with the end client and it's like a managed payroll service and then some more. And this particular end client engages a lot of low paid workers, low skilled workers. 
they can't afford to have any reputational risks when it comes to employment matters. So they've engaged this umbrella company directly to manage payroll on their behalf. And they're doing a really good job. Their clients are very satisfied. And proof of the pudding is when coronavirus hit and the job retention scheme was announced, this umbrella company was able to pay out, was able to furlough and pay out the job retention scheme to impacted clients. And that's the benefit that you can get if umbrella companies are working with end clients rather than just being a piece of the of the supply chain. So what about us at any accounts and how has this impacted us in our inability to set up an umbrella company? Well, compared to other accountancy firms, we have lost far fewer clients to umbrellas than the market average. So I think we've realised the strength of our own client base. We always thought they were strongly and confidently outside our 35. We have a close working relationship with them. We understand how they operate. Um, and yep, I'm sure there'll be more clients uh, on the run up to, to April 2021 who are going to be forced into using umbrellas. But on the flip side, we've also managed to pick up a, a lot of new clients over the last year or so. So this is people who've moved from other accountants because their accountants don't get IR35. Or um, you know, we've got a lot of clients who are very serious and committed to being outside IR35 and wants to work with an accountant who can understand that and offer all the things they need to make that happen. Um, or just moving because they've been getting poor service during during coronavirus. I mean, it's staggering staggering borderline disgusting how many large accountancy firms have furloughed staff during coronavirus despite the fact their fee income hasn't uh, hasn't dropped but i will I'll, I'll say i'll save that for another podcast but i suspect it would be too controversial if i did um but so then i've also been chatting to um people at other accountancy firms and I, you know I, I was chatting to an accountant recently who did set up an umbrella company so they invested all this money and it hasn't really done much for them. So that their clients started to use it, but then they soon started to leave and move to umbrella companies that could offer them, offer them the, the largest take-home pay. So they spent all that money to enter this market and discovered it is just a race to the bottom. And from a personal perspective, I really hope that the agency PAYE or the fixed-term contract with end clients model starts to pick up. If it does, you know, Philly Boots, that's not our jam, jam. That's not a market that we're going to enter. Um, if it doesn't go down that route and if the umbrella company market becomes regulated, and there is talk of that, then we've got in our back pocket a really nice blue ocean idea um, that I think would bring a whole new perspective to how this operates. It's something that can do far good beyond the contractors and allows us to reset that balance in terms of addressing people's needs. But that's um, that's an idea that I'll uh, I'll save for another time, and that's it. So so that's our journey into umbrella companies. I hope you found that interesting. Um, I've certainly enjoyed refreshing my memory and, and finally bringing everything um, together. And uh, yeah, if you've enjoyed it, please do subscribe to this podcast. You'll find it on all the major podcast sites. So just search for Proudly Off Payroll on you know Spotify, Apple, uh, Google, um, and let me know what you think. So I'm I'm very active on LinkedIn. You'll find a post about this podcast on any accounts and on offpayroll.org.uk on LinkedIn. Feel free to, to leave a comment or ask a question there. And uh, if you want to reach out to me directly, then please, please do so. Connect with me on LinkedIn and, uh, and send me a message. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.